We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay. We're back after a two-week hiatus coming to you from Mercedes-Benz Studio with a mid-season update on our Atlanta Falcons. If you're new to the podcast, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter, and you can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So, the Falcons just finished the eighth game of the 2020 season. They are currently at a 2-6 and six record. And we're going to talk about all things Falcons and why this is essentially a worst-case scenario season for Falcons fans like myself. So most Falcons fans came into this season with the hope that they could compete for a playoff spot with the extra wild cards. With the extra wild card spot in the NFC, you thought maybe an eight and eight record could get it done. And you looked at the Falcons' schedule; it wasn't super favorable, but you thought they'd be. You know, improved on defense with the return of a healthy Keanu Neal, the addition of Dante Fowler, and the addition of A.J. Terrell. You thought, you know, we could maybe have an average defense and have a really good offense with Calvin really continuing to emerge. And, of course, Julio Jones and the addition of Todd Gurley. So instead of that, we, of course, get off to a disastrous 0-5 start, lose games in ways we've never seen teams lose games, even Atlanta teams, and now sit at 2-6 and six after two wins, which should have been, honestly, three wins under Raheem Morris. So when you look at this Falcons season to this point, the individual performances on offense are what really stand out to me so far as one of the things that's good. And let me back up for a second. I took a moment to actually grade all the Falcons units, and I put this up on our Facebook page. So just to give a run through the quick grades that I gave to each unit, I graded our offensive line at a C plus with uh, Jake Matthews being his normal solid self. Alex Mack, a center that's clearly in decline, but still a solid starting center. And surprisingly, when you look at the pro football focus grades, Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom on the right side of our offensive line both have very, very strong pro football focus grades in the 70s, which indicates basically slightly better than average play. And at the left guard spot, it's been kind of a disaster with uh, Carpenter and Matt Hennessy. But, I mean, that was kind of to be expected. Carpenter is you know, barely hanging on with the Falcons and Hennessy's a rookie. So you expect them, but you expect maybe Hennessy to get better. But either way, I, I rated us a C plus on offensive line, A at the skill positions. And I'll explain the reason for that grade. Those of course being receivers, tight ends and running backs. B for quarterback and then a B minus for the overall offensive production. So points and yards. And then as an overall offense, B minus. And I'll explain those grades here in just a second. So as I was saying, look at some of the individual performances by Atlanta Falcons, starting with Matt Ryan. Uh, he leads the NFL in passing yards. Uh, it helps that he's number two in the NFL in attempts. He's 11th in QBR, number 14 in quarterback rating. So he's thrown 12 touchdowns and four interceptions on the year. He's on pace for 4,900 yards, 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions, which is essentially the typical good Matt Ryan year. Those are pretty much where his numbers are. He's usually in the mid to high 20s, and usually right around 10-ish to 12-ish interceptions. So that's that's pretty standard for him. Todd Gurley, number four in rushing yards, number two in touchdowns in the NFL. Todd Gurley, number four in the NFL in rushing yards, number two in touchdowns, number three in first down runs, and he is second in the NFL in touches. Now, it should also be said that he's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry, 
and he only has two two runs of 20 yards or more. So the explosiveness that you saw at the Rams really isn't there. And the offensive line play has been good enough, as I just shared. But I will say that 3.8 yards per carry mark isn't great. I mean, it's definitely subpar. Usually four is considered decent in the NFL, and over five is good. But what, what kind of hurts his yards per carry number is the fact that he has got so many short yardage carries. I mean, multiple goal line touchdowns, which is not a bad thing, but I think, in short, that number is maybe slightly less indicative of how effective he's been, especially when you look at the number of first down runs he has. That's usually a pretty good indicator of the back being good at getting what he's being asked to get. I think that kind of indicates Gurley. When Gurley, when the Falcons need three yards, Gurley typically is going to get four and fall down. He's not taking those runs for 40 like he did when he was in his prime with the Rams. But I think he's been good. And so, you know, his stats project to 1,060 rushing yards and 16 touchdowns for the season, which would be pretty outstanding. And honestly, if they elected, if they selected Pro Bowl running backs today, it's probably him and Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott as your Pro Bowl running backs. By the way, Ezekiel Elliott is averaging 3.9 yards per carry on the season. So, And he has 10 fewer rushing yards than Todd Gurley at 521 to Gurley's 531. Now, I believe Gurley has played an extra game than most running backs. So there's that. Calvin Ridley has been really, really strong with the Falcons. Number five in the NFL in yards. He's tied for sixth in touchdowns. But that's actually better than it sounds when you realize there's actually a five-way tie for first with five different players having seven touchdowns and Ridley having six. He is tied for second in the NFL in catches of 20 or more yards, and he's tied for third in first down catches. Uh, what's What's funny is the guy that is tied for first in catches is a name that you'll be pretty familiar with. So when you project Ridley stats over the course of the year, he's on pace for 86 catches, 1,300 yards, and 12 touchdowns, which would easily be a Pro Bowl year, if not an All-Pro year. He's having that kind of season that you hoped we could get out of him if he could stay healthy for an entire year. And then Julio Jones, the big dog himself, number 10 in the NFL in receiving yards. He's got two touchdown catches on the year, which is pretty typical for Julio. He usually averages about six. Leads the NFL in catches are 20 or more yards, and he's 16th in first down catches. And y'all remember that Julio's only played six games this season. He's actually third in the NFL in receiving yards per game. So Julio's basically on pace for about 1,100 yards, 80 catches, and five touchdowns. And that would be an off year for him. It'd be his lowest output in in four or five years. So, yeah. That tells you all you need to know about how good Julio is, which we already knew. All right, so looking overall at the Falcons' offensive production as a unit, they are number six in yardage, number two in passing yards, number 16 in rushing yards, right in the middle of the pack, number 14 in points per game at just 26. I say just 26. And when you look at the yardage in production, this kind of indicates that this should be probably like a 28 to 29 point per game offense which would put the Falcons in the top 10, and really it feels like the Falcons have a top 10 offense. But the biggest critique of this offense is the lack of explosive plays in the run game. I mean, Brian Hill has our longest run of the year at 35 yards, and the inability to convert in the red zone. Youngway Koo, who's actually been really good this year for the Falcons, is 19 of 20 on field goals, which leads the NFL. He's kicked the most field goals in the NFL. And it's great that he's been accurate, but the fact that you've kicked 19 field goals, and I believe 10 of them have been under 40 yards, which indicates, you know, either in the red zone or close to the red zone, it shows you that the red zone offense just hasn't been good. 
And I think that's been one of the biggest issues facing the Falcons, especially in the last three or four games where games like Detroit and even this past week where they're kicking field goals instead of getting touchdowns and keeping the game closer than it really should be against the Panthers when they truthfully dominated the game in most phases. So I wanted to take a second to explain those grades. Individually, the Falcons have been great with the production from their individual positions, but collectively they've just been good and it feels like they should be like really good. So that's how I came up with the overall grade of a B minus when you look at the offense, because even though the individual stats are there, the production as far as points really isn't what it needs to be, even though it's been good enough probably for them to win, you know, three or four games. And so that's how I came up with their grade of B minus for the Falcons offense. Scott, my colleague, was not nearly as forgiving for the Falcons. Uh, he rated them as a C minus overall on offense. Uh, just essentially saying that he feels like they played two good games, two bad games, and three average games. And we haven't really played very many good defenses. Chicago being the best defense we've seen, and we only scored 16 points. So uh, not quite as optimistic with his outlook on the offense as I am. But I think one of the things we both agree on is that the offense hasn't been the biggest problem for this team. That has most certainly been on the other side of the ball. So for the Falcons defense, I rated the Falcons defensive line at a C- for the year. The secondary at a D, <laughs> which is probably a bit generous. And overall, I rated their run defense at a B+, and the pass defense as an F+. And overall, I came out with a grade of C minus. I believe Scott rated them as a D minus. <laughs> so uh, getting into the numbers a little bit, the Falcons are number 28 in total defense, which is based on yards. They are number 31 in passing defense. And the gap between them and the team that's at 30 is huge. Um, and the gap between them and the team that is 32 is actually huge, which is the Seattle Seahawks. There's really no other way to say this, but the Falcons' past defense has just been absolutely atrocious. I mean, it's been terrible, uh, pretty much as bad as anybody in the league, and the numbers show that one of the issues being the pass rush is improved, but it's still not good. They're middle of the league-ish in sacks. Uh, Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett each have about three. You know, you're kind of hoping that Fowler would be more in like the 8-10 to 10 range by the end of the season, and he might still get there. Um, Grady Jarrett's been Grady Jarrett, but Tack McKinley has been hurt, which is pretty typical from Tack, and you're not really getting a lot else out of Steven Means and the rest of the group. Uh, you know, John Kaminsky, when he's played, has been pretty good, but he's not really a pass rusher. And Fowler, not to dump on Fowler. Fowler's actually been good. Fowler actually plays the run. He does other things well. And unlike Vic Beasley, if Fowler is not getting to the passer, he is still affecting the game. Uh, he had a couple big tackles for loss against the Panthers. But the pass rush has been just meh. And the corner play has been awful. Particularly, Isaiah Oliver has just looked lost. When Kendall Sheffield came back from injury and A.J. Terrell came off the COVID reserve list, both of them immediately slid to the outside corners, and the Falcons' pass defense improved tremendously. So Isaiah Oliver at this point looks like a huge miss. Uh, Second-round pick out of Colorado a few years ago, and He's not really well suited to play the slot. Slot corners need to be usually quicker and shiftier. They usually are smaller in size. Oliver, six foot tall with long, long arms. Slot corners tend to be good tacklers, which Isaiah Oliver is not. Um, and they typically are physical. And while he is handsy, I would not say he's physical. And when Darquez Denard comes back, if you put him at the outside corner, which he played really well at, and slide Kendall Sheffield back into the inside corner position, 
where he seems to be really well suited, doesn't really leave a spot for Isaiah Oliver in the secondary. And do you move him to free safety? Do you cut him? I mean, like, I just don't see where his future is in this team. And he's a pick that I actually liked. I mean, he fit the he fit the Dan Quinn profile. He just hasn't been good. He's Robert Alford without the makeup speed is the best description I can give you. He's got all the grabby grabby, but he doesn't have the makeup speed. And he doesn't make the occasional plays in the ball that Alford make. Because Alford, although he was good for a PI every once to every he was good for about ten PIs a year. He was also good for about four picks. So you're not getting that part out of Isaiah Oliver. And so he's been a disappointment. Um Keanu Neal's been very up and down. He's looked awful in coverage at times. I mean, I looked back in the Bears game. He's playing deep half safety and looks awful. And they've made some adjustments to get him back in the box, doing the things that he's good at. And he's been really good the last couple games. I think Pro Football Focus has him as two of his highest grade, has him with two of his highest graded games of his career in the last two weeks. So he seems to have remembered how to play football. And Overall, there was just a lack of talent in the secondary for about three weeks. And again, the secondary, even at full strength, isn't great. But they can, I think, at least be competent. AJ Terrell has looked at times like our best corner, truthfully. And he gets beat. He gets picked on some. But when AJ Terrell's getting beat, he's he's at least there contesting the ball when he gets beat. Unlike Isaiah Oliver, where when he gets beat, it's either him missing a tackle or someone going on his head or him just falling down and letting someone score, like he did against the Chicago Bears. So... Overall, the secondary play has been bad. It does seem to be improving with the, with some improvement in the general health, but the Falcons should definitely be looking to add a piece there this offseason, uh, either at safety or corner. Now, the Falcons are number six in rush defense, but that is a bit misleading because when you think about the situational defense the Falcons have played, they've played with actually a lot of fourth-quarter leads where teams are having to throw to come back. You think about the Dallas game. You think about the Chicago game. Think about the Detroit game. They've had leads in a lot of these games where teams aren't necessarily trying to run the ball. And Detroit didn't have any success running the ball all day, really. But So the the six, the number six rushing defense based on yards is a little misleading because, again, teams aren't, A, having to run the ball against the Falcons because they can throw it on the Falcons, and, B, some of these teams are in situations where they're trying to make a comeback and they are not running the ball to do so. So... The Falcons ended up, though, overall, number 21 scoring defense, which ultimately is always the stat that you want to look at. How many points are going on the board? And the Falcons are giving up right around 28 points per game, which is, of course, more than they are scoring at 26 points per game. Now, what's interesting is when you break down the splits, the Falcons' first four games, they averaged 34.5 points per game. But in the last four games, they've given up 21.5 points per game. So the 34.5 would be by far the worst in the NFL, whereas the 21.5, if sustained, would essentially be a top 10-ish defense, so a top 12 defense, basically a competent NFL defense. So there's this big gap between the Falcons' first half performance of the season and the second half performance, and a lot of it has to do with just the catastrophic number of injuries to the secondary, and the Falcons had to basically readjust their defense scheme about three weeks into the season because of all of the injuries that took place and really started in the Chicago game. You know, the Falcons came into the season with a plan to run a 4-2-5, use Keanu Neal as essentially your nickel linebacker, and play with Foyer, Luacon, and Deion Jones in the box, both of whom are very, very athletic linebackers, and use some three safety looks with Neal, Ricardo Allen, and Demonte Casey. 
Well, and then that, that went out the window when Neil Allen and Casey all went down in the Chicago and Green Bay games. And that was in addition to already starting the season without Kendall Sheffield and then losing Darquez Denard, who was very, very good in the first three games in the Chicago game as well. And they lost him for five weeks. It's worth noting that the Birds also lost Grady, Tack, and Foye Luicon by the Chicago game as well, with Luicon getting hurt at the end of the Dallas game and Grady and Tack getting hurt in the Chicago game. And that's not an excuse, but it's just reality. And you just have to think that if the Falcons even had maybe half of the top six players in their secondary, the Chicago game looks a little different at the end. But Chicago just basically shredded the Atlanta defense the last two drives. And maybe if they have a handful of players on their secondary that aren't from the practice squad against Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers isn't playing uh, flag football with them on Monday night. And it just goes back to, you know, the first four games, you just think the Falcons defense is god-awful, and it looked god-awful. But it turns out that two of those really embarrassing performances against Dallas and Seattle were against the number one and number three pass offenses in the NFL, teams that have basically shredded everyone. And one of those games was the Falcons getting shredded by the MVP front runner Russell Wilson. Again, these aren't excuses, but it's just context. Any way you slice it up, the Falcons' defense has been bad, but you can't talk about it without mentioning the injuries. The Green Bay game was played with five or six starters out on defense. By the end of the game, the Falcons were literally playing practice squad players in the secondary against the number four scoring offense in the league. So those aren't excuses, but it does matter, and it's worth pointing out. And on the flip side, I left the first two games of the year thinking that the Falcons had a top-five offense, only to find out now that the two teams they played in Seattle and Dallas are two of the worst defenses in the entire league. <laughs> and so it gives some context to what you saw in those games. The Falcons weren't as good as on offense as they showed in those games, and they probably weren't as bad on defense as they showed in those games. And when you crunch the numbers, you realize that overall the Falcons are really just an average overall team. Uh, better than average on offense, I would say, and below average on defense. One elite player on each side of the ball, graded Jared on defense. Julio Jones on offense, and then two or three really good players. Like Deion Jones is a really good player. Um, Foye Luicon is developed into a really good player. Dante Fowler is a really good player. On offense, Todd Gurley, really good player. Jake Matthews is a good player. Uh, Matt Ryan is a really good player. And so you add those to your basically one elite player on each side of the ball, and the end result is that the Falcons are basically in purgatory. They're in that place where you never want to be in any professional sport. They should be a team that is 4-4 four and four and competing for a wild card spot. That would be okay with most of us. Instead, they're a 2-6 team that isn't bad enough to get into the top three and have a shot at one of the quarterbacks like Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. But they're not good enough to make the playoffs. If they did make it, they'd probably just get waxed in the first round by a team like the Packers. Now, here's the kicker. Because of how wacky and upside down the NFL season is, there are currently 10 other teams with 0-2 wins. 10. And of those teams, the Falcons have played the second easiest strength of schedule to this point. So, assuming the Falcons win just two of their last eight games, which seems, you know, reasonable, they could still end up picking as low as 8-10. to 10. Now, Scott tells me statistically that's not super uh, likely, that a 4-12 team is more likely to pick like 4-6 through six than they are 8-10. through 10. But if you lose the right tiebreakers and the season continues to go the way it is with teams like the Bengals, Jets, and Giants just being awful, the Patriots look bad, although you'd figure they're going to win some games. Uh, Minnesota looks really bad. And these teams are teams that the Falcons are fighting with to get up to the top. And it just goes to show that in short, being an Atlanta team, the Falcons can't even pick the right year to be bad. (laughs) We pick like the worst year possible to be bad. 
And this goes back to another point I brought up with several people. Tanking is never realistic in the NFL. The simple reason is NFL players do not have guaranteed contracts. You look at the Falcons, you can name maybe three players or four players on their team that are untouchable, meaning like they could never be cut. I mean, you ain't cutting Grady Jarrett. You're not cutting Matt Ryan. You're not cutting Julio Jones. Is there really anybody else you can say for sure the Falcons aren't cutting? Maybe Deion Jones, okay? But even good players in the NFL are expendable. I mean, the Patriots are notorious for cutting starters when they have a bad game, especially like players' positions they think are expendable like running backs. So in the NFL, you have players like Todd Gurley. You think Todd Gurley's going to tank? He's playing for a long-term contract. You think A.J. Terrell's going to tank? Isaiah Oliver's going to tank? He's fighting to keep a job in the NFL. Keanu Neal's in a contract year. Dante Fowler wants to get another long-term deal. You think any of those guys aren't going to play hard? Like, that doesn't work in the NFL. It's not the NBA. It's not MLB. And while I hear the talk about trading people like Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, not a lot of teams looking to trade for a 35-year-old quarterback with huge money left on his deal or a 32-year-old wide receiver with huge money left on his deal. I mean, there might be some contenders which are willing to give you the kitchen sink for Julio Jones. That's probably the more realistic option. You know, if a team like the Patriots was good, maybe they would give you a first and a third for Julio and take on his contract. But the truth is, the teams that are – there aren't any teams looking for a quarterback. I mean, the NFL is right now saturated with quarterbacks. Every team has either a guy they think is good or a guy that's young they still have confidence in and they want to see develop, or – you're the Jaguars, and you just want to be bad so you can get Trevor Lawrence. So I just don't see the market for Matt Ryan. I could see a market for Julio Jones, but again, you're only trading for Julio Jones if you're a contending team, and what contending team is going to give up a wider, is going to give up a first and third for Julio Jones? I mean, look at the teams that are up there. The Packers don't need him. The Bears could use him. Uh, that, I'm sure he would do wonders for the Bears, but Allen Robinson's having a great year, a big bounce back year. Uh, the Chiefs certainly don't need him. I mean, they're just... It's just hard to see where the market is for teams that would need him. I think it'd be more likely that you could trade him during the offseason. So I say all this to go back to my point. Tanking is not realistic. And even if you did tank, what does it get you this year? Let, let's say that you, you do get all the way up to, oh, I don't know, the fifth pick, which would be really, really good this year because the Jets are terrible and the Falcons may lose out and still not catch the Jets. But let's say you get up to the fifth pick. Who are you taking? Fields is gone. Lawrence is gone. Trey Lance may even be gone. Are you taking Panay Sewell from Oregon? Are you, are you taking Jamar Chase? You, I mean, you could take Sewell and put him at tackle and move Caleb McGarry over to guard and then move Matt Hennessy to center, and you got something there. I mean, are you taking Jamar Chase and just saying, uh, Julio, we're going to cut you after this year, and Jamar Chase and Calvin really going to be our guys moving forward? I mean, I guess. As a Falcon fan, do either of those things excite you? There's not an elite DB to take in the top five this year. There's, there's not an elite pass rusher. There's not a Chase Young this year. And it just goes to show that the Falcons, as I said, are in purgatory. It's a lost year. I mean, moving forward, not all is lost, but it's just a lost, wasted year. The Falcons have a young star, a uh, young budding star receiver in Calvin Ridley, one of the five best defensive tackles in the league in Grady Jarrett. They got promising young pieces on defense with Aluakon and Sheffield and AJ Terrell. And when you add in some solid years from Dante Fowler and Deion Jones, and, you know, Aluakon's really having a breakout year, the Falcons realistically could be, you know, one big piece in the secondary and one big piece in the pass rush away from having a competent defense. You know they're always, with Matt Ryan and Julio, going to be competent offense. So I guess you can get excited about that. But the truth is, if you're a Falcons fan, it's a frustrating, disappointing year. 
as Scott said, you could have gone through this whole transition last year if you fired your coach at the end of the season instead of going 0-5 just to pull the trigger now, whatever it is, 10 months later with nothing having been accomplished. Moving forward, I would love to see the Falcons target a a young, and I mean young, I'm doing air quotes here, a new offensive-minded coach. You know, Eric Bieniemy is a name that's been thrown around. Like Bieniemy a lot. Um, always have questions about a guy that's got Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. You know, I mean, how good of an OC do you have to be to, to be good at Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> but coming from Andy Reid does, you know, give you hope that he's picked up some of the great uh, scheme that Andy Reid does. He's one of the best at adjusting his scheme to his quarterbacks, and maybe that'd be great. Um, you're getting some buzz from one of the Packers' assistants, and, you know, as Scott has pointed out painfully, the Packers' head coach should probably have been our OC after Kyle Shanahan left, Matt LaFleur. We probably should have given him the job as OC, and he would now be our head coach, even though I like Raheem Morris. Uh, Matt LaFleur looks like a pretty good head coach. And all that comes to the point that this is frustrating for Falcon fans. Russ, you and I talked earlier, if you're listening to this, it just feels like you're in that hopeless middle state that the Hawks have been stuck in forever. So looking ahead for the Falcons in the second half of the season, assuming you split with the Broncos and Chargers, probably split with the Saints just because they're so banged up and we always seem to find a way to take one of those games from the Saints, you're likely going to get swept by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who like they might be the best team in the NFC. And then, you know, maybe you catch Kansas City in a week 17 resting starters and you sneak in a win there. So... Looking ahead, this looks like maybe a five or six win campaign, which would likely have the Falcons picking, oh, I don't know, 11th or 14th. I don't know. It just seems like that's what we're destined for again. And as Atlanta fans, we're used to this. Everything is terrible. Everything sucks. We love our team. Go Falcons. Rise up. All right, so uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be back with the College Football Notebook, breaking down Georgia, Florida. This has been Dave the Thay with the Tide Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.